good evening and good afternoon or good whatever time it is and where you're at good that so i'm going to take my mask off in a moment so deceiving ourselves so i want to i am going to talk about deceiving ourselves because someone suggested that i think it was uh, june and it was with junchu suggested that so i will start with the radical area that that occurs in is uh we're always deceiving ourselves we're always something arises and we abandon that you could say we leave that we abstract ourselves away from that uh, into what it's about, what it means, whether it's valuable, whether it's important, whether it's not important. And we tend to analyze our life and our situation, our job, our family, all of the things, our state of mind based on uh, concepts, conceptualizing. And it's not that that doesn't have a relative accuracy to it. Of course it does. It's just that that starts to get a priority that starts to get more and more uh, at the head of the, the whole uh, observation, at the head of the whole perception, at the head of the whole dynamic that has to do with how we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and think about our world. Pretty convincing. And we tend to because we get a little bit of a result there, or we get maybe we don't get so much of a result, but we get agreement from someone, from someone else. Yeah, I think I think you notice in a conversation how we we kind of someone that we're we get along with, we're it's kind of we'll say something. Yeah, I see what you mean. I understand what you mean there. And we go back. So when you do that, it feels good. It, it kind of strokes, you could say, or um, soothes our self-centeredness because we have somebody else who's there to play that the other end of that uh, spectrum which is called uh, relative friendship <clears throat> we all know about that I, think I gave a talk about different kinds of friendship a while back I think I covered three of them and I missed the other 48 so the way in which we deceive ourselves to return to the immediacy of that statement is anything you do anything is a deception it doesn't it's not that it doesn't have a validation based on relative truth of course that's why it's so damn hard to see it because the relativity of things is right there all the time i'm here uh, you guys are over there there's a wall there's a light you can turn it off and on um it's just uh everywhere the whole world is saying uh Ultimately, I'm over here, you're over there. I'm over there. This is this is a good thing, this is a bad thing. On and on and on. <clears throat> and it's not that that isn't relatively workable. Of course, that's why we're still alive, basically, because we, uh, we aren't uh, fooled by this uh, mirage in such a way that we allow uh, imaginary bears to suddenly be, become real bears. So it has its use, protecting the physical form. But this is a temporary situation. Who you are is not just the physical form. Somewhat. As Dogen said in the 13th century, uh, and when referring to mind training, his recommendation, and uh, 
you didn't do a great job of explaining it, and I can tell you why if you ask me about it. Drop off body and mind. Drop off body and mind. I, I don't know how that showed up in Japanese. Uh, look it up and see uh, how that what uh, Chinese kanji characters were used for that, and maybe go deeper into where he was coming from and how he might have thought about that and why he said it in that way. So it is about the attachment that we have to our body, to our feeling, how, how things are going for us. There is a constant commentary or elaboration on everything that happens. I'm sure you've noticed. And it has, because it has such a powerful relative construct, it's, it's just easier. And most of the world is uh, that is operating in the mundane way, the mundane way, of course, they're doing this. And it probably will work out fine for you if you don't have any uh, deep issues. In other words, if you don't suddenly doubt your whole reason for existence, if you don't get flashes of uh, the, uh, the fundamental emptiness of any kind of identity that is happening. <clears throat> You don't have something like that already going on. Sometimes it's called uh, insight. Sometimes it's called a beginning of the spiritual path. I'm sure you've noticed for those, everyone here is a meditator. I'm sure you've noticed that for those of your friends and family and so on that know that you meditate, they have no interest in what you're doing because they already what? think they know what you're doing. Anytime that you... It comes up that you meditate. They just look at what their reference is for that and say, yeah, I know he does that or I know she does that. That's fine. It's, they can do whatever they want, whatever makes them happy. There's no curiosity. Don't correct that. Leave, leave everyone alone. Don't convince them of anything about meditation. Allow them to have their preconceptions about what you're doing. There's a lot more chance, possibility, if you're even thinking in that direction at all, that they might be curious as to why you never mention it to them. You never tried to talk them into doing it, and you completely leave them alone. In other words, and how does that show up? Two ways, three ways. I'll mention a couple. One is they don't think you're good enough to meditate, or that they're good enough to meditate. Or, or they think that that you're trying to keep something from them that's secret. Or they know that if you try to mention it to them, they'll show you why you're full of it and why meditation is stupid and you're going to turn into a cucumber. And then there's five or ten more. But I'm sure you'll notice if you look at the sitting practice of meditation, you'll notice there's some aspect of that that understands or knows something that is not deceptive. And there's something else that is uh, uh, bringing up the rear that is always saying, what do you meditate for? Why am I even doing this? Is this really working? Should I be doing this? Should I find another teacher? Does this guy even know what he's talking about? He keeps talking in circles. Doesn't make any sense. Seems to be doing it just for the money. Or whatever you may be thinking. Yes, sir. Um, just a few moments ago, you were talking about Dogen and that he didn't really do a good job of explaining dropping off body and mind. What, what did you mean? I mean that he, uh, he said what it was, and he, as far as I can see, I'm not positive what he was thinking, of course, 
But the way it looks to me is that's all you need to know. You just need to know those two very, very definite relative statements. Drop off body and mind. And then it is up to you to, to do what? Begin to look, what is body? How can I drop off? Can't drop this off. This is, I mean, I've got, uh, you know, I eat a bunch of chili peppers. And I can't drop the body and mind off because I'm constantly reminded of that. I can't drop off mine because I keep worrying about my uncle in Missouri who won't wear a face mask. On and on, just we continually ramp that up. And this is what Dogen would like you to observe. And what is that? Belief, that there's a belief factor with the body and there's a belief factor with the mind. We actually believe there is a mind and we have a mind that we're thinking. We actually believe that we are a body when he, says, so when he says drop on off body and mind, the first thing you realize you can't really do that. So if you're a meditator and if you're sitting down uh, uh, daily or at least quite often and spending some time just looking at what happen is happening with the mind in as fundamental, as radical a way as possible, as minimalist as possible, uh, then if there's a possibility that with your, the, the causes and conditions that are arising with your thought patterns, if there's any kind of break in it, then there might be a flash of insight into there really is no body. There really is no, you might say it this way, I don't have to drop off anything. I see there's nothing to drop off. So trying to drop off body and mind, uh, what happens is it's like trying to do something that is abstracted so much that you can't. It's like trying to eat a recipe. This is a really good cheesecake, this recipe of cheesecake. Maybe a little silly, but it's that kind of a thing. You can't drop off body and mind because you, you have an, uh, an incredibly intense assumption about what the body is, and you notice you can't, can't get rid of that. But if you, through the same practice of meditation, if you continue to look, if you continue to persist, if you continue to actually receive, 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 eventually what this body actually is will be understood dropped and, and therefore the body mind will you could say maybe not so have much been dropped off but they never were there never was a solid body mind complex in the sense that oh there's something i can i'll, I'll just drop off body and mind Whew, i'm glad that's over with thanks dogan <clears throat> Oh, he was talking in a, uh, the, the only way that, one of the few ways, few teachers that can actually do that is to talk out of both sides of his mouth. Trunk Rinpoche is also very good at being totally, totally direct and totally vague at the same time. As, as uh, Dogen says, firewood does not become ash. Yes, it does. If you burn firewood, it turns into ash. So what in the hell is he talking about? And this is, rather than explain it, it seems to be necessary to contemplate that kind of a, a use of uh, in powerful conceptual uh, ideas to teach and help point to the true nature of what this is. <clears throat> How do I look sitting in the monastery? Does this look better? And sitting in that, where, where was it we were sitting at? In the car. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, when 
back to your talk title of deceiving ourselves, something I've been trying to look at is as the path becomes more familiar, maybe just in the way of forms or the people you're around, that familiarity slip into self-deception. Yes. How can we work with the self-deception that arises when we become com comfortable on the path? Just, just notice the, uh, notice that you're getting comfortable with that. That's do it with awareness. Don't do it with manipulation or conclusion, or objection or any. Just a feeling of uh, of being uh, of, of seeing that you're become, becoming comfortable is pretty uncomfortable because that hits you right where it hits you in your pride. The the feeling that you're actually probably pretty clear about the path. If people would just ask you about it, you'd be able to explain to them how great it is or whatever. So I think it's always about awareness. Nothing lasts. So anything you're aware of, if you do nothing with it, if you don't push it, if you don't pull on it, and if you don't you don't fuel it with anything, you don't chase it away, you don't do anything with it, it, it will begin to disintegrate because it is dependently risen. It may, it may take a week, it may take a year. It, but it can't last. And watching that disintegration is uh, powerful because that which is watching the disintegration is not doing anything. Unless it starts to conclude something and then the observer quality starts to, starts to uh, uh, back off in favor of that which is thinking or gaining or uh, concluding or understanding or that aspect of the ego which knows stuff and believes stuff and has a credential. I couldn't. I couldn't do this if I knew what I was doing. No way I could do that if I, if I knew what I was doing. Like, like some kind of knowledge about who I was and what I was doing. It also doesn't operate the other direction where I don't know what I'm doing. No position. The position quality shows up in relationship to someone asking the question. If there is a question, if there's no question, then much happens. When someone sees what this is, do they still deceive themselves? More than likely. What is different about the practitioner or the one who's on the path? The practitioner on the path doesn't realize he, she, or they are deceiving themselves. They think it's the truth. One who's realized knows that it's a lie, knows that it's untrue, knows that it is dependently risen, and is not uh, taken in by it. But you can't get rid of your eye color. Well, maybe contacts. But you can't get rid of your karma. You can't get rid of who you are. This is why I said earlier today, uh, the one who realizes this doesn't care how they feel. I'm not saying they don't they enjoy having a stomach ache or enjoy having a, some kind of difficulty or, or that they're not, uh, they're okay with any kind of negative uh, thing that's happening. It's not like they're approved of it. They approve of it, but they also don't disapprove of it. It's just, uh, it's just dependent. There isn't no argument with tree bark. No, no argument with, with rocks and minerals. No argument with the with a human's voice or presentation or their statement. No argument. 
no no belief either. <clears throat> Good question. Any anything else along that line or along other lines? I like questions. Shukabang, when you talk about the one who sees what this is is seeing that everything's a lie, is the truth uh, something that shows up as a polarity to that or a contrast no. to that? No. No, seeing that everything is a lie is the truth. <laughs> you don't have to even be a, a programmer. It's just plus or minus. Off and on switches everywhere. If you see that that's a lie, that's the truth. Keep coming. Drag it out of me. Shogun, I don't have anything else at this point. Oh, darn. Thank you. I was just getting ready to go. I was just getting ready to humiliate you. That experience away from me. Exactly. <laughs> Shoto bowing. Ah, Shoto. Is seeing that a conclusion? S uh, seeing that you see it is a conclusion. Seeing it is not a conclusion. Seeing is not separate from what is being seen. Perception only. It's just a teaching of a yoga char teaching. Perception only. No perceiver, nothing perceived. But if you if you do anything with that to reify, substantiate, clarify, or build some kind of a of a um, foundation under that as something you've understood, then then that uh, starts to decay. If no one's asking you questions, does it look like you can help people? doesn't even look like that now. <laughs> it's not about helping people. It's about taking a vow to put others before yourself. And that may not show up as helping them. It might stay, show up as staying in the mountaintop, never coming down. Save all beings. Saving all beings isn't about, you know, running to the store for them. Although it may be, that may be it also. Coming good, good ones, good questions. Let's dismantle. Them. Go ahead. Do we have to help people in relative ways in order to see that that's not fundamentally helping people? I wouldn't go that far, but you may have to help people in relative ways. That might be a start. I wouldn't do the in order to, in order to, but just help people, help people. Then it may show up in any number of ways. Help, uh, this is a Buddha Dharma Sangha. Help, help the teacher. Help the teachings. Help the Sangha. And start with that. And then that can extend uh, out towards the rest of the world. And when I say extend, go ahead, please. Go ahead. How do, we, how do we help the teacher if the teacher doesn't need anything from us? I need somebody to fix a drain in our sink. 
start with that. <laughs> I asked somebody about that. Didn't I ask you about that? Yeah, I asked three of you plumbing gentlemen, plumbers par excellence. So the teacher, it's not about what the teacher wants. It's not about the teacher's desire necessarily. It's about you need to give in that direction in some way. You start by giving your attention to what the teaching person is saying, not abandoning it, abandoning it for what you think he or she or they mean. That's a different kind of teaching. It's a different kind of student. This is, um, yeah, go ahead, please. I think sometimes you've said that if you see what this is, something is obvious. Maybe it's seeing not separate, seeing that you're not separate from everything is obvious. How, if we're looking at a situation and something about it looks obvious to us, how is that different from the obviousness that you were talking about? Um, well, I'm saying that if you see what this is, it becomes obvious that you're not separate from it, that you're, you can't see anything but yourself. I mean, there's no self. We know about that. There's no solid beingness. But everywhere you look, because of uh, it has lost its objectivity and uh, it's lost its subjectivity. So it's just a perception. And it's very, very familiar and extremely bizarre and outrageous at the same time, at the same time. Or I know you can't, it's outrageous, it's ordinary. It's, uh, I, I don't know how, any polarity you can you can come up with, it's that together, not separate. And it's a realization, not a, not a thought pattern, not a conclusion. And you, and the, and if you're, if there's still a human form or any kind of form happening here, uh, your confidence is unconditional. You don't, you, you don't get your, you don't get, what this is, you know, nothing is validating or reifying, substantiating, or <clears throat> there's no proof. Those, yeah. Go ahead, please. How does a relative obviousness differ from that unconditional confidence? Because the relativeness, because of not to, because of non-duality, even the relativeness is not separate from ultimate. So even that, everything is coming. It's not like the ultimate has been realized, therefore you've abandoned relative truth. No, the relative truth is ultimate truth, not separate. Separated to uh, beings that have no spiritual path or are totally wound up in some kind of materialism, getting ahead, being a winner, maintaining their reputation, maintaining their golf score. Any kind of maintenance going on. So the very thing you're asking about is not separate from what you're not asking about. Go ahead. We add that unconditional confidence. Would it be obvious what to do in a relative situation? Totally. It also would be be obvious not to do anything. And it might feel like, I don't know what to do. But you don't mind because you know, uh, it's like 
Uh, it's like you don't mind that. It's like nothing is missing. There's nothing, there's nothing else around the corner, even though it's dark. And if it becomes light, if the sun comes up and it becomes light, the, you're not missing the dark. You're not missing the light when it's dark. You're not missing the dark when it's light. No, no more relative uh, bias going on. At the same time, you see it vividly. You see the, the differentiation. You see the differentiation in desire. You see differentiation in the desire for that and the desire to have more of this and less of that. And that may stay hang around. It may not. But to the, the consciousness or the one who is realized, uh, they just see that. They don't side with anything. Nor, nor do they go against uh, something else and go the other direction. If we see that there's, if it looks like there's something around the corner that we can't see and we want to uncover what that is, how do we work with that? Just continue to look at it. Look at it. What uh, look at what it is and see that there's probably some kind of covering over that. And then don't pull at the covering or rip it away or find some kind of special tool to peel it off. Just look at the covering. The covering, the covering is uh, something that you're you're covering it up with your own mind. Everyone I meet, I could generalize a little bit. Just about everyone I meet, I can see the way they cover up. But since I since I know they have to do it themselves, I can't point it out to them unless something opens up there. And it's not because I'm such a wonderful, insightful fellow. It just means that I've been looking at self-deception for a long time. My own. It's still there. It's still there. I watch it every day. So therefore, I can see when someone else is deceiving themselves. But I also know that that they're going to have to see it. So all I can do is encourage them to continue to return, return to the wall, return to the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, return to the Buddha. It is done. I return to the Dharma. It is done. I return to the Sangha. It is done. More questions about that or anything for that matter. Uh, Carl has a question. Carl, Yes, Carl. Where does the motivation to act come from when we're not believing thoughts as much, but we're not yet awakened? Um, Don't do anything unless you have to. If it's time to eat, go have lunch. If it's time to eat, eat, you're not hungry, don't have to eat anything. <clears throat> it's it's, it's uh, very situational. You may do things, you may not do things. You may have uh, if you if you have a uh, like uh, if you have a baby have a child and it's choiceless you have to take take care of that child but it's it's very similar as if you have a if you own a, a cat you have to take care of the cat can't go to the store and the cat can't constantly kill mice especially if there aren't any mice so it's very situational and uh, when you function in that way just be very aware if you're adding any kind of commentary onto the situation that tends to uh, fluff up your self-centeredness or your accomplishment mentality. 
I'm not sure if I responded to that in a way that's helpful to Carl. So Carl, if you have more, try again. Kevin Bowing. Kevin. So Kuzan, how does just looking liberate what is covering our true nature? Because the 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 what keeps the true nature covered up is passion, aggression, and ignorance, or as the Buddha said, wanting things to be different than they are, wanting something else. So it's a it's a basic disagreement with your elbow. It's a you know it's it's part of you. You're disagreeing with something that's there because you want something else. And so by by looking at it. And looking at it, and looking at it, and 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 you could say developing. I don't. It's not exactly a, a development. A radical approach to it. You're just going to look at it. Nothing's going to stop you. This doesn't mean you're trying to bully your awareness. I'm not saying that they haven't done that in the past. Or inside tradition was very much about being very macho about it and just forcing your liberation or something. Maybe that works. Maybe not. Not interested in that. But what I am interested in is encouraging people to spend as much time as they can, sit down, hold still, watch what moves, and see the self-deception, see it arise, see it fall away, see it rise. And sometimes it looks just like uh, some kind of a lid on things. It doesn't seem to be budging much. Look at it anyway. Come back the next day and see see if it's uh, the same damn cover-up. See if it's the same damn tarpaulin, or if there's something a little bit different about it each day. Maybe it's a little closer. Maybe it's a little further away. Discriminating awareness wisdom. This is the, the, the wisdom that sees contrast without uh, 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 picking, uh, picking sides, without choosing. Just begin to see the contrast in the world without having the contrast show up as me and the other guy or friends and enemies out there, friends and enemies, <clears throat> or me and that, me and that. Subjectivity, objectivity. To see that and see that they're not two different things. This is perception only. And, and it's not something you can think about. It's something you, you have to actually see it or perceive it. It may show up in your visual consciousness first. It may show up in the mind stream. It could show up in, in sound. If you're a person who's particularly auditory, it might show up in that area. You realize that there are no two sounds anywhere. It's just sound. Sound of a, an alligator, the sound of a bird. Not that different sound. And I'm not saying you need to go into that and try to make it do that. It's not about making anything do anything. It is about watching what moves. Don't add. Don't subtract. Don't divide. Just observe. And eventually, to respond more to Kevin, to your question, is to is what you're looking at, the assumption is that it is a cover-up. It is a tarpaulin or it is a <clears throat> and it is it's, uh, it's functioning that way, but what it what it su what it substantially is, if you look at it enough and are persistent, you, it, it it can't last as a cover up. It starts to uh, the whole colors that it, of everything behind it start to bleed through that tarpaulin just because you're 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 not gonna you're not gonna stop. You're not gonna give up. This is bodhicitta. This is a mind of awakening. It starts out relative. The tarpaulin and what you're self-deception and it becomes ultimate just because you, you you just stop picking and choosing it's like i said a little earlier the the, the one who is awake uh, doesn't care how they feel they've been hoodwinked in the past by their feelings that they're no longer going to be uh tricked by anything 
especially in emotion. As I think I've said before, compassion is not an emotion. There might be an emotional quality to it or dynamic to it, but compassion itself is not feeling not feeling for someone or sympathy or particularly. I'm just going to accept that. So going by, uh, you said that saving all beings might show up as uh, staying on the mountaintop. It might. How do we how do we save all beings staying on a mountaintop? You're not separate from all beings. You're not separate from them, and if you realize that. Then, then you'll know it, it'll be just the causes and conditions that arise as your particular, excuse me, mind stream or karma or all of the things that you've been struggling with all of your life will show up as obvious. It'll be obvious. And you'll obviously, I've got to go up and stay on the mountaintop. Or obviously, I need to go into the marketplace and, and shoplift so I can get caught by somebody that I need to help. Very complicated stuff. If you're if you're thinking about it, it's circular. If you're not thinking, you you know every step you take is uh, uh, golden. Every every step you take is perfect, is exact. To use strong relative uh, pictograms. Any other questions? So, um, looking at what you had said about the comfort or the familiarity of the path can be a form of self-deception. Yes. I'm wondering as if we just stay on the path, how, how important is it whether we're deceiving ourselves or not? Or maybe that's not very clear. <clears throat> yeah, it's clear. It's a, uh, you, you don't necessarily have to have some kind of feeling that you're, well, I'm really, I'm deceiving myself, but I'm very, very aware of it. You won't get any kind of credential out of it. The, what will happen is, the, is the, 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 the hidden assumption of otherness or of otherness there and otherness here, someone's here, uh, just starts to come apart just from, just, from, just from watching, just looking, observing, just no more struggle with anything. No, no more trying to get rid of suffering or pain. No more trying to get uh, pleasure or success or adulation more sometimes on the path it, it seems like my focus can be on the relative resolution of suffering or discomfort and that that fundamental misunderstanding of self is this is it important to try to move our attention or our awareness to the misunderstanding of a self as opposed to the constant seduction of, of relative suffering no, a little bit of each and it will, it will function. That will function differently with each person. Some person, one particular person, may be a lot on, kind of heavy on one end. But you can you can just do it. Just do it with your awareness. That's why you hear me as a teacher. I just say, train your mind. Keep go back. Keep keep looking at the wall. Keep watching what moves. Study with the sangha. The Buddha Dharma Sangha. Use that. Use that uh, algorithm or that structure that formula to, to kind of catch your coming ego, catches you with a teaching person and it catches you with, uh, with what's being taught. Everything is dependently arisen. There's no self in the skandhas. And the, the, the conceptual uh, outlay that is there that is so incredibly uh, profound 
if you contemplate those concepts. And then working with the Sangha, so you have people that, you know, Sangha members, you'll notice, I'm sure, that people that are really easy to get along with, they're wonderful friends, and other Sangha members that, even though they're not being particularly, <clears throat> they don't seem to be uh, evil, particularly, but they can give you a really hard time because you're, your dharma sister, dharma brother, their their way of functioning. Very interesting area, very difficult sometimes to, uh, some people just, uh, I know being in the, the Shambhala community from uh, my first introduction in 1973, what it was like to be with other people studying under the same teacher you had, not fun. In fact, terrible. And just over and over again, and I always wondered why, why is this so difficult? But I did it anyway because of my because of my connection with the with the Vidyata of Trumpa. Was it just it just it came first over everything? Yes. Is it okay to relax a little bit on the path? A little bit. How much do you want to relax? Now I'll tell you. I just think about move to Utah. <laughs> when I I worked on a farm, the farmer said to me one time. As long as you're working on farming, you'll never get caught up on your chores. I used to just run myself red, and I'm just wondering when I'm we're seems like we be really hard on ourselves on yeah. the path every time we slip up or miss a meditation. I'm just wondering if there, there can be some softness. <clears throat> well, you hear the way. I mean, I'm I'm talking to the people I'm talking to are not living in a monastery. A few of them, about eight or ten people, ten people living in a monastery. The rest of the people are all over the map. They're have jobs and they have even in COVID, uh, the COVID uh, season, still there's all kinds of activity that's happening. So, so I uh, I encourage people to do block sitting, uh, but I also say the the last talk I gave on block sitting, I think on YouTube said you know the important thing about block sitting is start four hours later and finish, and in, insofar as you can hold still and just meditate that four hours. But if you have to get up and Go look out the window or go sit on the couch or go thumb through a magazine. Uh, much different than has been taught down through the centuries. I'm saying do that. Movement is movement is movement. The movement of thought and the movement of your physical form are not two different things. And they're also not the same thing. But watching movement is important. Watching the body get up. If you're really doing that and it's within the context of the form uh, that is set up by the ringing of a bell. And four hours later, the ringing of a bell again you'll find it's a lot easier to stay there longer periods if you know that there's no uh, dragon breathing down your back of your neck trying to, or, or some other Sangha member uh, with a stick, including the teacher. There's no, it's, it's just a misunderstanding to approach it that way. You need to be much softer and much more accommodating with not only with other people's neurosis and insanity, but our own. Need to need to be go easy on it. No no demands. No pop, tabletop pounding. No. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, as I've said before, I had a really good dose of that in the Marine Corps. Not not helpful. It's not a good way to train people. Actually, shutting down their intelligence and 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 fluffing up their desire to please or to have badges and ribbons. When you're bowing, uh, I think you said earlier, uh, or someone asked about a person who um, sees what this is. Are they still 
susceptible to deception. Um, I think they're susceptible. As long as they're, as long as they're alive, <clears throat> it's possible. It's less likely. If you see what it is, it's unlikely it's going to go the other direction because it's just it, it takes too much energy to, energy to shut down on what you see. Is deception part of karma? Um, you see, we see people all the time that there's, uh, even if you were to show them proof, which you couldn't, they're, they're not going to change their the direction of their life. Sit, sit right next door to a monastery, have no curiosity about it, mainly because the curiosity is filled in by their preconceptions about it. Just like if someone finds out you're a, medit you're a meditator and they say, oh, I meditate too. They might meditate. They might not be doing what you're doing. You can have 15 people who are all meditators and uh, only one of them is uh, looking at the fundamental nature of confusion. Or maybe three of them. You have to look at the confusion. You can't just create a, a nice feeling. Not that that wouldn't feel pretty good if you've been uh, like uh, S.N. Goenka's uh, people in, uh, was it in Bombay, Mumbai, uh, who went into prisons there and, and, and they all did 10-day Vipassana retreat. It's very valuable for those people to do that. Eyes closed, scanning the body. Big contrast compared to what prison life was like before then. So it's not that that's not workable or helpful. Of course it is. But it's not going to see the fundamental nature. Unless it does. I mean, it could. Unlikely, because there's too much invested in feeling better. Ah, this was, it felt so terrible until I started doing this kind of meditation. If you come to me, I'm sure you've noticed, if you come to me and say, I had a really great meditation yesterday, I would probably say, I'm sorry to hear that. M meaning to be humorous. Then Sangha help us to see how we're deceiving ourselves. Um, I didn't catch the first part of the, what you asked. Can the Sangha help us to see how we deceive ourselves? Yes. This is why we have Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. The Buddha, the, the teaching person. Uh, I'm not the Buddha, so I'm, I'm here, and I function as a teacher. And I, I, I get my authority from what I see. No one gave this to me particularly. So that's the teaching person. What's being taught, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Twelve Links on the, on the Chain of Existence, uh, Dependent Origination, all the labyrinth, of incredible labyrinth of teaching down through the centuries of people who understood this in different ways and in the same way and talked about it and tried to help people understand uh, what the nature of this uh, situation is. And then the Sangha, the community of people that are working on this, very powerful to be talking to someone or with someone who's, who's working on this path uh, through uh, the Buddhist teachings and uh, to be able to communicate with them uh, and see other people that even though they're practicing the same thing, very difficult for you to communicate with them. So it's a great cross-section of the world. Uh, sangha are, are not a group of people that you would necessarily ch choose for friends. Uh, friends are ones that agree with you no matter what you do. They love you no matter what you do. Those are friends. The ones who, who 
don't necessarily agree with you or go along with you or seem to resist you in some way. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the teaching in the form of community. And what do I say about it? Don't do anything with it. Just receive it. Receive the teachings. Receive the Sangha. Uh, receive the, the teacher. I return to Buddha. I return to Dharma. I return to Sangha. This is a vow. If you take these vows formally, this is what you're going to say. And, and, and we're not kidding. We have to. You don't do this just as I want to join a club. I, that's why I say don't do it unless you have to. Don't do this. Don't receive dukai. Don't receive vows. You can study. Don't do that. Not a good idea to receive vows and then do the opposite. It just it's a setup. And you got uh, let's see if I were to, if I were speculating, you got about eighty four thousand lifetimes yet ahead of you. Might be good to stick with, you know, let's put it this way. What's that real simple way of saying? Oh, keep your agreements. Make an agreement, keep the agreement. Making an agreement and saying, well, you know, I, I don't think I really meant it. Uh, that really wasn't my teacher. Uh, I don't know if I really believe in Buddhism anyway. And I'm being a little bit silly here. I don't think I'm addressing anybody who's at this point who's uh, having that kind of an issue. How do we receive interactions with Sangha if they feel difficult or threatening? It's your projection. It's your even if they're doing it, even if they're standing there going, you're projecting onto them. I'm not kidding you. What, would I kid you? I'm not going to do that. Chances are they're not doing that. Chances are they're, they don't have a, a sneer on their face, but they might have a sneer in the back of their consciousness that you're picking up on. The connection between all of us is uh, dependently arisen. And if you're here listening to me, even if you never listen to me again, if you run off to uh, Portugal, or just lose interest, which people sometimes make a strong connection for three weeks, three months, three years, and I never hear from them again. Some of them don't even say goodbye. And some, if I if I do reach out, say what what's happening, um, what happened to you, what they'll, they'll say, come back. I've had people come back and say, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I've had people do that. Okay, got it. What is that about? I have no idea. They're not they're not wrong. Saying they're incorrect, but I'm saying keep your agreements or don't or don't make them. So yes, sangha, uh, you're, you're going to meet a cross section of the world in the sangha. That's what it's about. The the teaching person, they have a connection with everybody. They, there can't be a person they don't have a connection. I'm not saying that one person isn't easier to be around for the teacher than someone else, but the connection is overwhelming. It's overwhelming uh, for a true teacher. In uh, India, this is called a satguru or sadguru. True teacher. Someone is teaching out of their realization, not out of uh, any, any scripture, any text. They don't even need them. They don't read them. I don't read them. Well, there's a couple I read over and over again. 
No, I'm not going to tell you what they are. So grand. Putting others before yourself sometimes mean that your own personal practice is shortened. Bowing. Is shortened? Yeah. Yes, sure. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be. It's not something you would do deliberately in order to get the credential of putting others before yourself. But you would it'd just be spontaneous. You would just you would be sitting and uh, someone needs, needs something and you're sitting and you don't need to maintain anything. You don't have to maintain that. If you've sat down and struck the bell, sit there and you're there for half an hour and uh, someone comes and needs your help with something, um, I mean, you, you, either way is correct. You could say, you know, I'll be done sitting in about half an hour. I'll be with you. Or you could say, uh, give me a minute. And then you could strike the bell, but say whatever forms you're conventionally doing. Get up and go go out and help them uh, uh, mow the lawn or whatever it is that they're trying to get to happen. So there's no, the right or wrong part is, is the extra part. The ego, the self-centered mind wants to know should I or shouldn't I or should I or shouldn't I? Just, just, just keep it completely open so you have no idea what you're going to do next. Sit down, strike the gong, a couple minutes, sit down. If somebody has the, 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 the wherewithal, like probably Ani would, your son, to come in and just interrupt you, maybe he would do that. Well, maybe that is a good direction to go. And you could all, he, he, you also have to include his dynamic too. I'm just thinking of him. Uh, because I know he's a young man and he might interrupt you because he, when somebody's 14 years old they or 15, they think that what they're doing is pretty damn important. I sure did when I was that age. And so then, but, but the, when I say, but it's not just otherness of that. It's like, if you do that, then you're functioning with that person out of the situation rather than out of your idea about the situation of trying to hold on to a vow or, uh, be with all things or put something ahead of yourself. So that kind of a, it's a very subtle area. If you actually are functioning to put others before yourself, then uh, you may, you may uh, help him. You may not, but not helping him doesn't mean you didn't put him before yourself. That may have been the only way you could do that because you're so present. You're so there, you know, who he is, you know, what his uh, state, what stage of life he's in. And that might be the totally uh, appropriate time that you can't think of ahead of time to get up and help him. And it also might be the totally appropriate time to say, I'll be done in an hour. I'll be out and help you then. And, and, and you, if you think you know ahead of time what that's going to be, no, it just, it just gets more and more confusing because then we try to make choices and there, and everything is choiceless. So Karen, yeah. it's less about Ani and more about my personal practice, like clinic practice, there seems to be no end to people asking for help that are strangers. A little bit. Do some of it, but but don't, uh, what is the, uh, the word OD? Don't overdose on that. Do some of it. Just do, keep, uh, set up a form that is workable for you and then uh, keep a limit to it rather than, than have it break down. At some point, you won't have to have that form. You'll just function out of what occurs. 
but you could say, say if you have a, a 20 clients uh, and you don't have room for any more, or maybe you can have two more, then limit it to 22. And if anybody asks you, just say, uh, you know, however you're, how, however you're handling that, just schedule it ahead. Just you have somebody handle your scheduling. Yeah. So then you should uh, you should give yourself another name. Call yourself uh, Ed and say, let me talk to Ed about that. And they'll say, Ed, it's a person that does my scheduling. Could I talk to Ed? No, they're way too busy scheduling. <laughs> so set it up in such a way that, that, that you have some kind of a form that helps you with that. You don't have to. You don't have to have some kind of ideal person that you're always uh, putting yourself under the um, in the mud puddle so people can walk over you. Uh, when you become the Buddha, then you can donate your body, your flesh to uh, the tiger cubs. But until then, you can hold off for a while. Is that is that helpful a little bit? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, do it a little bit and, and, and tell them, it. you know, you can lie a little bit. Lying is okay if it's to benefit all beings. <laughs> we can talk more about that if you, if, if it keeps coming up or if you have more difficulty. We're at the end of our, uh, of whatever we're doing. We can dedicate the merit, and it's really good to be in the be in the monastery. It's good to see everybody. Thank you for joining us for this. May the merit of this penetrate to all places, so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. Sangha, family, friends, and visitors. Feel everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering and filled in 